Is it possible to be successful as an introvert? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, welcome in. We've got a lot of great questions today, as always. So you heard me in the intro there. One of those is, are there successful people who are introverts? Well, you might be surprised when I start sharing a list there. Somebody says, Dan, I love to write, and I'm an effective speaker, but I can't seem to get the marketing right. How do you take those multiple skills of writing, speaking, coaching, perhaps, and create an income from them? Well, we'll talk about that. I'd love to talk about that. Dan, is it reasonable to start a coaching, a business coaching business? And we got somebody who asked, should I flip houses or be a bookkeeper? Well, lots of variation in the questions as always. Hey, we've got lots to, lots to share with you. Here's our quotation for today. Now, this is a theme I want you to think about as we listen to some of the questions today. This comes from Tony Robbins, who I heard one time say, the road to someday leads to the town of nowhere. Think about that a minute. I encounter a whole lot of people who are going to do something someday. They're going to do something when the kids are out of school or when they graduate from a program or when they get the house paid off or, you know, when something, you know, the last kids go off to college. It's always, you know, just around the corner. Well, the road to someday leads to the town of nowhere. I like that thought. If you want to do something, do it today. Start today. Tomorrow, you may have it, you may not, but start today. Well, our, our sponsor today is Casper. Now, you may ask yourself, you know, why do I talk about a mattress? Well, you wouldn't believe how important I think sleep is, how much an integral part that is of my success or your success. I mean, there's a brand new book that just came out yesterday by my friend Sean Stevenson titled Sleep Smarter. It is the most profound study of how you sleep well, what the things that interfere with sleep and how that impacts the rest of what you do. Sleep Smarter. Hey, I didn't plan to do a book promo, but I'm happy to do that. Check it out. Jump on Amazon. Just came out yesterday. Sleep Smarter. It's transformed some of the things that I've done just to help Joanne and me sleep better. My, my nutritionist, Dr. Phil Carson, has his own podcast called Feeling Good Podcast. And in his most recent episode, he talked about the importance of naps. Again, something that I value greatly and have for years. It's not because I'm an old guy. It's because I've always enjoyed naps. I mean, I really have. I mean, even as a young kid, I've always enjoyed naps. Even now, you know, I may have an appointment with somebody. I may have a coaching call in 30 minutes. It's not unusual at all for me to go in and get undressed under the covers in the guest room here at the sanctuary and totally take a nap with 30 minutes before a coaching call. I get up, golly, that deep restful sleep. I mean, I can go to sleep in three minutes and that deep restful sleep, I come back energized, revitalized, ready to go for the rest of the day. I'm rereading the book Essentialism right now by Greg McCowan. There's one chapter in there totally devoted to the importance of sleep. 
Now, this is on how to be most successful in your business career life. And there's an entire chapter devoted to sleep. You know, unfortunately, a lot of times people who are trying to be successful think that sleep is just kind of an unnecessary evil. It's, it's an unproductive time. So if you can wean yourself from sleep, I mean, I read a ridiculous article one time in Inc. Magazine years ago about a guy who was setting his alarm clock a minute earlier every day, a minute earlier every day, weaning himself from sleep. Now that's a preposterous idea, stupid idea. You're going to reduce your effectiveness if you aren't listening to what your body's telling you about needing sleep. Anyway, I'm a big believer in the importance of sleep. Well, yeah, you know, because of that, yeah, I promote Casper Mattress. If you go to casper.com slash sleep you love, I mean, right off the takeoff of work you love, sleep you love, casper.com slash sleep you love, you'll see an introduction page there for all you 48 days listeners. And then if you use sleep you love as your code, discount code, you get $50 off any mattress. That's going to be shipped right to your front door. You don't have to go down and put it on, tie it with string on top of your car and drive home. Any of that garbage, it comes right to your door. Casper.com slash sleep you love. Check it out. Use sleep you love as your code and make sure you're getting sleep that is refreshing. Sleep that allows you to be your very best. If you're short, short sheeting yourself on sleep, you can't be your very best. If you're nodding off at four o'clock in the afternoon, trust me, your productivity is going down. Your awareness, your creativity, everything is diminishing. So don't let that happen. Well, a lot of things to cover here. Now, Mickey Vandaloo is very active as one of our 48 Days Mastery Coaches. She's active in 48days.net community. She's an expert in grant writing. And I want to share you a couple of resources here as we just get started off. I'm going to just include some of the success stories within questions today. But Mickey is an expert in grant writing. A lot of organizations out there are nonprofits or just worthy organizations. You don't have to be a nonprofit to get a grant. There's a lot of grant money available. But whether you are a nonprofit or not, if that would help you out, be aware there's a whole lot of resources out there. This is like college scholarship funds. There's a whole lot of money that never gets used, never gets claimed just because people don't go through the process of even applying for it. You can do that. Grants, certainly no exception. Now I'll put a, a link. You, you can find it, but I'll put a link in the show notes today as well. As you know, we've expanded the podcast notes dramatically right at the 48 days.net site. So you'll get a listing of questions that I answered, resources. I'll be a whole lot clearer there to see. But Mickey is at lakeviewconsulting.net. And she has what is called the Grants for All Training Manual. Now, here's the deal. And it, this is, you know, you can just go there and find it if you can get your way there. I'll put a link in our notes. But if you can go find it, it's lakeviewconsulting.net. But she has her Grants for All training manual. Right now, it's $197. But if you enter Save 100, the number 100, Save 100 in the cart, you'll get $100 off that $197 training manual for how to get grants. So that makes it only $97. I mean, obviously, I, I want you to do that. I want, to, I want to hear stories about you got a $50,000 grant for your organization because you knew how to apply for the grant. Christina asks, 
My current project is helping women find success via businesses and jobs they can do from home. Uh, you can find me at thehomejobreview.com. All right. She says, Dan, I read, 40, I read 48 Days to the Work You Love. It's fantastic. I especially like the idea of researching the companies you're interested in and making your resume and interests stand out from the crowd. My dream job is to write books to change the lives of women. This isn't an average job, and I understand from past experience that breaking into the publishing world can be diff difficult. I have a specific project idea that is unique, but I don't have a platform for it yet. Do I need to build a platform before I propose a book, or can I somehow make my proposal stand out from the crowd? Thanks in advance. Well, Christina, yeah, this is the chicken and the egg. I mean, if you go, if you have a really great book proposal and you go to a publisher, the first thing they're going to want to know is, do you have an audience? Do you have a platform? Do you have people who are listening to you now? I mean, they really aren't interested in publishing books from people who don't have people listening to them already. Now, how do you do that? Well, the way you do that is you write a book and get it out there. So it's like, how can you do one without doing the other one first? But you really can. And we've got another resource from me. This comes from John Henderson, who's real active in 48 days. He's got a new course out and it's zero to author. Now I'll put a link for that again in the notes, but it's zero to author. And he talks about how he has been extremely successful in putting his books out there on Kindle, on Amazon Kindle formatting. And he teaches you how to do that, how to go be prepared for Kindle and Nook. You can publish your book and get it out there and get on the list and everything by doing that well. So he's got a course. It's zero to author. I'll put a link in there for that. Yeah, it's tough when you want to be a writer. And publishers don't want to publish you until you are already a successful author with an audience. You just do them both at the same time. You, there's no reason, there's no way really logistically to build an audience without having a product to deliver them. And if you have a great product, no audience, there's nobody to buy. So you do them both simultaneously. So do an ebook of the book that you want to write. You know, if you want to write a book about you know, women who are becoming successful, go ahead and do that. Write a little ebook, write something on, I mean, do a worksheet, have 10 tips for being successful as a woman after being a stay at home mom for 25 years or something, you know, give it a unique title like that. And then you just get it out there and start building an audience for that. Then you stair step from that. I mean, when I got publishers who were knocking on my door to do 48 days to the work you have, I had already sold thousands and thousands and thousands of copies of 48 days to the work you love in a three ring binder. So I never talked to publishers, didn't ask them how to do it right. I just got it out there, made it available for people. But then because it did get a whole lot of publicity, a whole lot of viral spread, then publishers did contact me and said, Hey, we'd like to do this in a traditional book. You'll have agents contact you, all those wonderful people who want to hook their wagon. Once you've already proven that you're successful, but you can do it. Don't, don't think that those are obstacles, but be committed to doing the work yourself in the front end. Now this comes from Mark who says, you listen to Darren Hardy. I do as well. Um, today's video talked about many, if not most super successful entrepreneurs being introverts. He listed the following people as introverts, which blew my socks off. Now listen to this list. And this goes to the question, you know, can you be successful? as an introvert. 
Well, here's some people who are Steve Jobs, Tim Cook, Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Richard Branson. Now you recognize all those people, Steve Jobs, may you rest in peace from Apple, Tim Cook, Apple, now Mark Zuckerberg, of course, Facebook, Jeff Bezos, Amazon, Elon Musk, Tesla, and SpaceX, Richard Branson, Kelly, the Virgin Companies. He has like 140 companies or something. Anyway, Mark says, would you agree with Darren on this, that many super, super successful people are introverts and are living as introverts? Absolutely. And when you think about the things that a lot of these people have done, you know, they didn't spend the majority of their time. Look at the, look at the balance here. They didn't spend the majority of their time in front of people. They spent the majority of their time thinking behind the scenes, creating, writing, building, envisioning. I mean, that's what introverts do really well. A lot of extroverts, they never go deep in their thinking because they're just busy talking. They're out here just socializing, having a good time. Now, I'm, I'm not generalizing to say that's true of all, but certainly they're introverts. I mean, most of the great inventors were introverts. When you think about it, and incidentally, the best book on this, if you are an introvert and you want to know how to function well, how to make a great contribution, get Susan Cain's book, Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. But here's some of the things that she shows about introverts. They tend to be more sensitive. And as sensitive people, they tend to be more philosophical and spiritual in their orientation rather than materialistic or hedonistic. They dislike small talk. They often describe themselves as creative or intuitive. They dream vividly and can often recall their dreams the next day. They love music, nature, art, physical beauty. They feel exceptionally strong emotions, sometimes acute bouts of joy, but also sorrow and fear. Highly sensitive people also process information about their environments, usually deeply. They tend to notice subtleties that others miss. I mean, it goes on and on. Schools, of course, are not set up for introverts. Introverts need different kinds of instruction. And this comes from the College of William and Mary education scholars, Jill Burris and Lisa Kenniggs. Too often they say very little is made available to that learner except constant advice on becoming more social and gregarious. I mean, isn't that the truth? I mean, churches don't embrace introverts. The people who get opportunities, who get noticed are extroverts. Schools, the little kid who sits quietly in his seat doesn't get any attention at all. They're encouraged to engage, to get active, to go out and play in recess, you know, to want to be up at bat, to want to be a cheerleader. You know, to want to be a sports star. Well, a lot of introverts, that's not a good fit. So yeah, absolutely, you can be extremely successful. Now, in full disclosure, sure, I would be categorized as an introvert. Any test I ever take, I mean, if I take the DISC, the D-I-S-C, where I is that outgoing, social, gregarious, backslapper, kind of break the silence in the elevator kind of person, that is my lowest category. I'm extremely low on I. That's just not my strong suit at all. If I take the Myers-Briggs, some of you are familiar with that, I'm an INTJ. I being introvert, not an E, not an extrovert at all. Not at all, not even close. So when you think about the things that I do, 
if you understand 48 days, and a lot of you are very, very familiar with what I do here as a writer, speaker, coach, you know, you think about those things, but if you think about how I do those things, if I speak, I may speak 45 minutes in a month. So that doesn't mean I'm spending eight hours a day doing that. That just means, wow, I walk up on stage, deliver a presentation or whatever. If I write, when my writing is done best, when I'm all alone in an ideal day for me is back here at the sanctuary away from our house where nobody darkens the door during the day. And that happens a lot. I mean, a lot of my week is structured where I'm totally alone. Now, do I engage? Sure. We have live events. You know, I do go to conferences, things like that, have coaching calls with people, but it comprises probably 5% of my schedule. 95% of my schedule is time that I spend alone. Again, that's not a model that's recommended for anybody. It just is how I function well. And can you be successful and be introverted without changing yourself? Yes, absolutely. So that's the challenge. That's the problem. A lot of kids are encouraged to change who they are. It's like the old days. Remember the old days where a child would start writing with their left hand and a mom and dad say, oh, no, 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 don't do that. You know, that's wrong. Well, hopefully those days are gone. We can embrace a child who prefers to be left-handed. But the same thing is always true with introversion. Well, you got to engage more. You know, you're too quiet. You got to come out. You got to be part of the party. You know, and I've got a granddaughter right now who has a birthday coming up. We asked her what she wanted to do. Her little sister had a birthday party recently, and we had about 45 people out here. And we had, you know, kids going down the zip line and had cream pie uh, in the face activities and hayride, all kinds. This little girl who will be turning nine, she says, no, I don't want that. I want to just come out to your place, you know, and just to have family there. Now that seems unusual for a nine-year-old, but do we allow that? Do we embrace that? Absolutely. If that's what fits her best, if being in a big crowd is, you know, disorienting, it's, it's, it causes stress for her. We aren't going to force that. Why to be an introvert? Hey, no matter what age you, you are, you can do the same if, in fact, that fits you well. Kelly says, Dan, my 24-year-old daughter went through a traumatic event a few years ago and is ready to share her story of pain and recovery with others. She's already been in contact with one literary agent who is offering her a package deal. However, what she needs most of all is someone who is a storyteller who can help her craft her story in such a way that it will be read by the majority of people who would benefit most. How does she go about finding that person? How will she know that the person is for real and not just out to get what they can? She's well aware that the book is really nothing more than a calling card for a chance to be heard. Your help on finding that person who can help her pen her story is greatly appreciated. And I see you're from right here in Brentwood, Tennessee. Well, we have an, an abundance of resources for anything in the publishing world right here in the Nashville area, Kelly. So we're fortunate there. Now I already have sent you a list of one, two, three, four, five ghostwriters. Now we refer to ghostwriters a lot. There's a lot of people out there who have a story, but they aren't really good wordsmith. So they need somebody to come alongside and help them craft their story. Not an unusual or unreasonable request at all. And there are people who are wonderful in doing that. So that's, I mean, you can, you can just Google for ghostwriters. Now, when, when you say, you know, 
how do you know the person is for real and not just out to get what they can? I mean, you, you could say the same thing about an attorney or a physician or a dentist or a bookkeeper. How do you know they're not just out for their own good, out to get what they can? When, when somebody is in a position of providing a service, I mean, we always have to ask that question. We have to be comfortable with who this person is and if they really are competent and are capable of providing what it is that I need. So yeah, I, I would encourage you to interview a couple different people. Talk to people that they've already served. Look at people they've already worked with. Now you could go to, um, you know, my, my dear friend, Ken Abraham, but uh, you're probably not prepared to pay the fee that he gets for ghostwriting. You know, he's written books for Senator Frist and Bob Dole, Chuck Norris, Joel Osteen. I mean, he writes books for those kind of people and his fee uh, has a whole lot of zeros at the end of it. So probably not what you're looking for right now, but is he trustworthy? My goodness, you better believe it. Has the highest integrity character, you know, of anybody I've ever met. Ken's that kind of guy. And people recognize him as such. So when there's a story to be told, he's one that gets tapped on the shoulder really, really quickly. But there's a whole lot of other people out there who are like that as well. Nick Pavlidis and Emily Chase Smith are both in my mastermind. Both really high caliber people. Uh, both attorneys, incidentally, I just thought of that. They're both attorneys, but they both do ghostwriting for people. Erin Casey, you've probably heard me talk about her. She's real active in the 48days.net community, a contributing editor for Success Magazine. She's been here to the sanctuary multiple times. We love Erin. I mean, that's what she does. That's her profession. She writes for other people. So I already sent you the links to those people with their personal email addresses Kelly, and you can certainly engage with them and then make your own decision. We have other resources. We have resources for once you get that written, if you want to go into any form of publishing deal that you want, when you say that she already, your daughter already has a literary agent who's offering her a package deal. I'm not sure what that means. I mean, literary agents get compensated because they sell a proposal to a publisher, but they're usually not involved in writing or pulling that together as a great literary piece. So I'm not sure what all you're getting there, but you know, you can talk to literary agents. You can talk directly to publishers. You can go with big traditional publishers or you can go with where you do it yourself, like create space through Amazon. I mean, we've got a lot of people who have done that. You can do kind of a hybrid where you get a lot of help and support and marketing distribution from the publisher, like Morgan James, who joins new book, her brand new book that'll be coming out in July titled Haven, Creating a Haven of Peace. We did that with Morgan James. We know and love David Hancock, the CEO and founder. He's in my mastermind as well, but that's another way we've, we've referred a lot of people to him. You can also work with Carrie Oberbrunner, who you've heard me talk about. Carrie, again, high integrity guy, um, you know, just a, a brother in all kinds of ways, but uh, we refer a lot of people to him, his author elite academy take people through there. So we're blessed to have so many great resources in this space. You don't need to feel like you're stuck in nowhere land. There's a whole lot of great resources. Feel free to email me back if I can help you with some more connections in that. Byron says, I just wanted to thank you for the timely interview last month. This was in regard to it's my pleasure. I had Deanne Turner on here from Chick-fil-A. 
with her new book, It's My Pleasure, which is kind of that trademark signature phrase that you hear when you go to Chick-fil-A rather than saying, hey, no problem, dude. You know, no, it's my pleasure. So Byron says, I wanted to thank you for the time we interviewed last month. We had a team member, Abby, filling in the past couple months for us in the HR office due to a maternity leave. Each day I would hear her pleasantly responding to our employees and guest questions and comments. And she would always end by saying, it's my pleasure. We had so many comments from employees about how great Abby is and how friendly Abby is. Just the other day, I gave her a thank you card for her time in our office and specifically thanked her for her friendliness, which was expressed in her phrase, it's my pleasure. And then a few days later, I heard your It's My Pleasure podcast. It is true how a simple phrase makes an impression. My shout out to Abby. Thanks, Abby. It has been our pleasure having you as part of the team for the past three months. And thank you, Dan, for your weekly inspirational podcast. Well, I had a lot of response to that. Uh, People just reminded how, what a dramatic difference it makes to say, it's my pleasure. Uh, Todd, I think it was Todd Stocker that wrote in and said that he and his family practice saying, you're worth it. Now think about that. When somebody says, thank you to say, you're worth it. Wow. They're going to remember you the rest of the day. Joanne and I have had a lot of fun with that. We've experimented with that. Just different places that we go. Somebody says, thank you. We say, yeah, you're worth it. Cool stuff. Thanks for sharing that. Gregory says, I'm wanting to start a business on the side of my primary job. What's the best way to start a business as a second job? Do you have a video on it? Golly, Gregory, I, I'm not sure. I mean, we've, we've got so much content out there on this particular topic about how to start something on the side. I mean, last week we did a webinar on how to start a side business. You can, you can go there and still find the notes. Now we've already done the webinar, but I'm sure we've got a recording of that up. If you just go to 48days.com slash side. Now what I did on that, it was laid out a whole lot of stories about what people have done for side income all the way down to, I talked recently about Jody Mayberry's little boy, August, who at eight years old, you know, went downtown in their town and played his violin on the street corner. And in 62 minutes of playing, got $47 dropped in his guitar case or violin case in that case. Well, (laughs) so we've got a lot of content that deals with that. I mean, probably 90% of my content, whether it's in books, podcasts, eBooks, interviews, deals with how to start a business on the side. So I, I, I think we've got a lot of content that you can just plug into, but here, here's one of the things I heard recently, I heard. Our buddy John Lee Dumas on Entrepreneur on Fire interviewed Brian Tracy. Now, Brian's been around a long time. Brian's a contemporary. One of the guys I used to go here back with, you know, Zig Ziglar and Tom Hopkins and golly, Wayne Dyer, Norman Vincent Peale. And he's back in that era, but still very active in this space. And he reiterated again what I've heard him talk about 25 years ago. I mean, he had a cassette series. When I was just getting started as a young entrepreneur, there was a cassette series by Brian Tracy called Getting Rich in America. It was six cassettes. When I went through that really low period, financially, business-wise, of my own a few years ago, I listened to that probably 18 or 20 times from start to finish. Six full cassettes. Getting Rich in America. And there's a whole lot of the principles that Brian shared in there that have been integrated into the material and the content that I share today. I mean, I, I attribute a whole lot of the things that I have as content 
and the success that I've experienced to, to mentors of mine, whether they are in person or through their audio programs, through their seminars, workshops, podcasts, books, all of those things where I tapped into their wisdom. Brian, I have had the pleasure of meeting Brian many times over the years at events, but I heard him interviewed with John Lee Dumas, which, which tickles me to hear now the, the young entrepreneurs that are interviewing some of the old greats like this. Really enjoy that. Brian stated again what I heard him say so many years ago. Here are three characteristics of people who become millionaires. So if you want to start a business on the side, now one of the things that I recommend with that is to start it on the side. Most businesses that we can start on the side today don't interfere with your regular job. So it's not like you need to quit a job and then hope to figure something out. No, take eight to 10 hours a week to start this sideline job and watch the income grow to where it maybe duplicates 50% of what your current income is. Then you can make a real easy, smooth transition. But here are the three characteristics, three reasons why people become millionaires. Number one, they have clear goals. Number two, they do continuous learning. Number three, they're willing to take risk. Wow. I mean, in the webinar that we did last week, we had almost 3000 people that registered for that. A whole lot of the questions were, I'd love to do something, but gee, I'd love to do that, but I don't want to risk any money. Gee, I'd love to do that, but you know, I don't want to in, in any way jeopardize this crappy job that I have now. Yeah, it's crappy, but at least it's predictable. Wow. I mean, when you're in situations like that, that people are describing, is it risky to do something that might get you different results? Geez, I guess if you stretch the definition of risk, maybe it's risky, but to me, it's extremely risky to your health, your finances, your well-being, your relationships to stay in a situation that's less than ideal, to stay in a situation where you know you're not at your best, where you know you're not at your most creative, where you know it doesn't bring out the joy that you ought to be sharing with the world. So anyway, those three things, keep those clear. Number one, clear goals. Number two, continuous learning. Number three, willingness to take risk and put those in place. Yeah. So whatever it is you want to do as a side sideline job, Gregory, man, jump out there and do it. And we do have now, now probably in terms of my resources, the best book that I have on that would be no more dreaded Mondays. I mean, that really is where I share so many stories of how people took just simple entrepreneurial ideas and put legs on them. Things they did, you know, Jim Hodges, who started reading old history books and in doing so created audio products that he sells to homeschoolers, makes a nice, cool $120,000, $130,000 a year, just reading old history books, which is what he wanted to do. But then I've got, of course, Dan's 48 lower no cost business ideas. I mean, that's another resource that we've got. I'll put a link to those in the show notes. I don't normally do that, but I'll certainly put those up there. I mean, that's another resource that's been really popular for us. Just 48 ideas, simple things you can do to start a sideline business. Most of them requiring very little, if any, investment at all on the front end. And most of them are things that I've done. And I've done a lot of things over the years. I love just taking a new idea and just seeing how I can turn it into an income generator. And I share a whole lot of those in 48 lower no cost business ideas. Here's a question. This comes from Ash. Now, this is kind of an interesting overview of possibilities here that I had to kind of get my head around. My name is Ash. I've followed your podcast 
when I can and love them. I have my family listen to them at times. I've also purchased your 48 days to the work you love book, watched your videos and learned a lot. I also shared your advice to help others. We live also in the middle of an Amish Mennonite community in Oklahoma. All right. I used to be in a baking manufacturing company for 17 years and went from being a dishwasher to reporting to the vice president as a project coordinator and a liaison between departments. I started my own residential construction remodeling business in 95 with a few customers and to make our ends meet to this day. All right. So 95, so 16 years now. Well, no, that'd be 11 years, 11 years, residential construction remodeling. But I realized my body can't continue physically doing that. I'd like to be able to one day flip houses and have some rentals for older years, but I have no funds to do that yet. But I actually would like to help people become debt free and getting their financial houses in order, especially Christians. I know Dave Ramsey saturates this area, but I have a passion to do that. I went to Trinidad and gave my testimony of doing so at a, at a church conference and had families that I counseled for free to do so. Um, but it's hard to do that here in the U.S. Very few charge for that. I was advised to take a bookkeeping program from a career college and did so. Just graduated with a 99% average, the 1% lacking to keep me humble. Thought was to learn more about the area of finance and business and put that in my tool belt and then build trust from clients through bookkeeping and offer other services for financial success like debt freedom. I don't want to get stuck either just doing bookkeeping. I want to know if you have any resources for me to look at to start a bookkeeping business as a means to a passionate end. I searched your podcast and the podcast that had the bookkeeping question was not addressed. I was advised to first work for a business as an employee, then start after a time to start my own business. Your advice is coveted. Do you have some things that can help me and decide what to do? P.S. My children love your closing song. Well, thanks. I, I had a bunch of people just this week for some reason talk about the closing song again. That was done by... Todd and Emily at Gifty Song. You can find them. Gifty Song. Just put that in. Todd and Emily do that beautiful song at the end, 48 days. All right. Now you've got a whole bunch of questions in here, but I'm going to do kind of a bird's eye view, Ash, of your questions. You talk about a lot of history, so I'm assuming that you're not 24 years old. I'm assuming that you are a little more mature than that. And so I'm concerned about the speed at which some of these things would develop. And when you talk about becoming a bookkeeper so that you earn the trust of people and then can slowly move into financial counseling and then from that get enough resources so that you can ultimately get into flipping houses or have a couple of rental houses. My gosh, all of a sudden, you know, I'm looking at a 30 year process here. I think that's way too slow. And I think you're contrasting things that aren't really in the same camp. They both have to do with finances. But believe me, being a bookkeeper is light years away from having somebody who has rental houses and flips houses. To me, flipping houses or having rental houses gives you a really big shovel. I mean, you have the potential to go out there. I mean, I watch those shows. I love those, you know, flip or flop, the kind of shows on TV that we see. I mean, you can go out here and make a good purchase on a home, do a little bit of reconditioning, put it back on the market and make $50,000. You can work all year long as a very trusted bookkeeper and never, and make $30,000. I mean, it, it just, if you have any ability at all in the arena that would get you involved in real estate, I would encourage you to go there. If you're really interested in making a change, a significant change in your own financial future. 
being a bookkeeper or giving financial consulting advice, those are not high income opportunities. You can do that with a heart of service. And if you have a passion to do that, you can continue to go to places like you talked about going to Trinidad where you do it as a, a voluntary service. I mean, that's a very worthy thing to do. But I don't think you can do that and turn it into significant income. I'd encourage you to go right into flipping houses. Now, here's the deal. If you have the knowledge about that, if you really understand and can find good deals, have the knowledge to do that well, you don't need a penny. It's very easy to find people who have money, who are intrigued about the potential in real estate, but don't have the expertise, knowledge, or the time to become experts in that arena. And they simply partner with others who have that knowledge and expertise. I mean, our friends, Connie and Sheila are in the mortgage business. They have their own mortgage company, but the primary thing that they have done is to buy rental houses. I mean, last I talked to them, they had like 85. Well, did they have enough money to go out and write the checks? No, they have investment partners in virtually all of those, but they are very, very experienced at buying really, really right. They buy, do remodeling and rehab, and then rent those out for the most part. The cash flow pays down the mortgage and it's continuing to build equity for both the investor and Connie and Sheila. I mean, they've done that for years. You can do that. I would encourage you to look at opportunities like that to get right in the game rather than thinking that you're going to go through some very, very slow, vaguely related process to get you to that point 20 years from now. Nope. Well, I kind (laughs) of, hey, take it for what it's worth, believe me, but I would not encourage you to get involved in bookkeeping. My bookkeeper, I mean, she's dear as can be. I mean, she, I rely on her to do my bookkeeping, but it would be a totally different story if she came to me with some kind of an investment idea, because I don't, I don't put her in that category. She's good at my numbers, but I don't expect her to give me investment advice or to help me with real estate purchases that I go to somebody who has proven track record in that arena. So I don't think there is closely aligned tied together as what you might be suspecting the way that you worded your questions here. Well, let me move on. Renee Vidal, Kelly, Renee Vidal sounds like some famous person or somebody who owns a line of hair salons or something. Maybe I'm just seeing similarity there. Renee Vidal. Okay. Says Dan, I'm a former NCAA championship tennis coach, now author, speaker, and leadership coach. I've self-published three books in three years, speak to regional associations, both free and paid, and currently have one paid business owner coaching client. Seriously, cash flow is tight to the point that I've taken on new private tennis coaching clients to stay true to my responsibilities as a husband and father of three boys. There have been some corporate marketplace feedback, which states I'm not niched enough. I love to coach high performers, helping them discover and leverage their strengths to maximize potential. I love to write and I'm an effective speaker, but I can't seem to get the marketing right. I'm considering your facilitator program as well as coaching with excellence. All right. Well, Renee, we'd love to talk to you about that. Now, here's the deal. If you're a former NCAA championship tennis coach, now author, speaker, you've written three books, you're getting some speaking engagements, you've got some coaching clients. That really is the model that I would encourage you to continue. When you say some people aren't sure you're niched enough, yeah, be really clear in what your area of expertise is. I mean, have two or three topics that you speak on. 
that really clearly separates you from what everybody else is doing out there. And I suspect that your background as a tennis coach would lend themselves to that. I mean, you know, how to, you, you could do like how to serve effectively when it, where you do a takeoff on tennis serve and yet serving people. I mean, do some things like that that position you in a way that can't be just duplicated by a lot of other people. So you can be niched just in terms of the topics that you address. You know, don't be just broad that you'll just coach somebody on whatever they want to be coached on. And when you use some of the terms that you do, like leadership coach, you know, that, that can be pretty broad. So identify what makes you unique. What do people think of when they hear your name? Like with me, I mean, there's a whole lot of career coaches out there, but that's not what people think of immediately when they think about me. They think about, ooh, Dan Miller, he's that 48 days guy. He's that guy that says you can change your life in 48 days if you create a plan and act on it. That's what I'm known for. So that's my niche. That's my brand that separates me from other leadership coaches, career coaches, you know, life coaches and all those. No, you know, do I touch on some of those areas? Yes. But my unique niche is that 48 days piece. But I encourage you to continue doing what you're doing in terms of coaching some having personal clients as you are speaking some writing some, those things can fuel each other. Your speaking can fuel, can rocket fuel your writing, your, the sales of your books, the sales of your books can open new speaking and coaching opportunities for you. So these things work together really, really well. Create a Venn diagram. Yeah. You need to come to coaching with excellence. We'll really help you lay this out. We'll help you take the exact pieces that you've got and lay that out in a really reasonable business model. Incidentally, the next coaching with excellence, let's see, is going to be May 12th and 13th. We got a whole lot of people that are uh, getting their seats identified for that. The last one we went over in one of those where we should have actually said no, but uh, we did go over a little bit, but squeezed everybody in, had a wonderful time, but the seats are going quickly for the one coming up in May as well. But yeah, Ash, we'd love, or Renee, I'd love to see you here for that event. We'll help you with that. All right. Craig says, Dan, I listen to many podcasts, entrepreneur on fire, Pat Flynn, Spartan seal fit and others, but yours is the longest running and still my favorite. However, there's a fairly new kid on the block. who runs the Ziggler podcast and who's a close second. I think you know him well on a serious note. Thank you for your advice and counsel through your podcast over the years. Well, yeah, what he's alluding to is my son, Kevin Miller, host the Zig Ziglar podcast. Uh, we do a lot of things back and forth. Um, Kevin usually screens his guest through me where I can tell him, you know, I mean, he's going to be interviewing Brian Tracy as an example. So I told him, I said, talk to Brian about his brand new book that's coming out, get smart and give him some tips for, you know, what to look for there. He's going to be interviewing Chris Gillibu, who's got a new book coming out born for this. Chris is a dear friend of ours. Chris wrote the book, The Art of Nonconformity. Some of you have been to his World Domination Summit that he does up in Portland. And uh, I'm going to be interviewing him. We've already talked. We've got a time laid out where I'm going to do a, a little interview with him. But yeah, Kevin is doing the Ziegler Show and is rocking it, doing a great job there. He frequently has Tom Ziegler. Zig's son on, but sometimes uh, he usually starts with a little clip of Zig. Zig is just that quintessential, you know, such a distinctive voice that he delivers in. And he's got that, his main phrase was always, you can get anything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. 
So there's some great principles. Kevin has protected the brand well and has used the brand to bring that podcast right up into the ranks. It's funny. He shows me screenshots frequently of what's hot in iTunes and it'll have, you know, John Lee Dumas and Pat Flynn and Michael Hyatt and Dave Ramsey and Dan Miller and Kevin Miller with the Zig Ziglar podcast. Well, he got there because of the power of a brand, which goes back to the previous question. Yeah, you niche yourself by coming up with a brand, but if you can be part of a brand, sometimes just coattail the success of a well-known brand, you can accelerate your own success. So Craig says, I have a business partner in a marketing e-commerce business. We have an idea to start a business coaching business. We would hold live classes and webinars and then make those available online as part of a membership site. I know there are others out there doing this successfully, but I thought I'd ask your opinion on whether this is a valid business model and see if you had advice on how to get it started, what target market you would focus on and so on. I'd value your opinion. P.S. I'd like for at least one of us to get to the next coaching with excellence class. So hopefully we'll see you soon. All right. That's from Craig. So you want to start a business coaching business. Well, keep in mind, you need something to set you apart. Because if you put in business coaching in a Google search, you know, you're going to get 50 million sites, I suspect, I'm guessing, but I, I literally, you probably would, because those are such broad terms. So you got to do something. What is it that sets you aside as business coaches? You say you'd hold live classes and webinars, then make those available online as part of a membership site. That's a challenging thing to do. I mean, everybody and his brother and his sister right now I started a membership site, you know, for only $30 a month, you can be part of this site. If for only $297, you can be part of this organization, this membership site. So there, there are, you know, it's like making donations to nonprofits. I mean, you get 200 of them in your mail this week. Every time you turn around, there's a new one. The same thing is true with membership sites. So if it's just on leadership, here's another membership site. You're going to have a hard time getting traction. So you got to do something to really distinguish yourself. You guys are the guys that, boom, do this. I mean, my friends, Robert and Bill have Rusty Lion Academy. So they are very clear about what they're helping these young entrepreneurs do. You know, Rusty Lion Academy, that's real clearly laid out. Who is a candidate for that? Why they would want to be connected. So, that's the first challenge that you've got. Can you do it? Do I think it's a good business model? Sure. Yeah, it's very doable. Very doable. You can do that and have multiple components, multiple pieces to your business model where you do coach, speak, teach, write. That's the way to build intellectual property businesses like that. Don't just think you put up a membership site and be effective in just doing that. You have to have the other things that fuel it. All these things fuel each other. That's the way to do it effectively. Well, hey, I want to tell you about some of the places that I'm going to be over the next few months. Got a whole bunch of places. I want to include some of the events where I'd love to meet you, shake your hands, hug your neck, you know, give you some encouragement on the spot and certainly encounter you in places where I think you really can explode your knowledge. Going to be at Launch Conference. That's coming up April 3rd through the 7th in Orlando with my friend Ken Davis. Social Media Marketing World right after that. April 17th through the 19th in San Diego. Just last week, I had our buddy Michael Stelzer on here, the founder of that organization. There'll be probably 3,000, 4,000 people at that event. I'll be doing a section on how to create your own mastermind to change your own success. Then we've got SCORE, 
an event primarily of your speakers, again with my friend Ken Davis. Joanna and I are going just as participants. We're just paid participants going to that in Orlando, May 2nd through the 5th. Coaching with Excellence, our next one here at the Sanctuary. You've heard us talk about that. Get in line for that, May 12th, 13th. We'd love to see you here. Then right after that, May 26th and 27th is Innovate, bringing that back through popular demand for creative people, authors, artists, sculptors, singers, musicians, those kind of people. How do you put legs on those kind of creative skills? That's Innovate here at the Sanctuary, May 26th, 27th. June 18th through the 19th, we'll be in London, England for New Media Europe. If you're listening over there, maybe hard to get to some of these others that I'm talking about. We'd love to meet you there with London with our friends, Mike and Isabella. So join us there for New Media Europe, June 18th, 19th. And then we're going to be flying directly from Heathrow in London back to Chicago for podcast movement, July 6th through the 8th. So that's what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven conferences that I'll be at in the next one, two, three, three and a half months. So I'd love to see you at any of those. Hey, check it out. Thanks for being part of this organization, this community of people who in fact are finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Yeah.